Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we pack five stories in social media and share them with you in a tight, neatly wrapped brown paper bag with your name written in big letters so you can show everyone you know that someone out there is thinking of you. Today, our key ingredients are Amanda Davis. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Joey. How's it going? Question for you. Yes. Did you have a cool lunchbox in elementary school? I bought my lunch in elementary school, and I still remember my cafeteria number to this day. What was it? I can't tell you. Oh. (laughs) I still use it. Oh. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. And Tommy Boyce is here. Hi, Tommy. Tommy, question for you. Were you a hot lunch kid or did you pack? I did pack a lunch. What was like the staple? That's a great question, Joey. The staple was some sort of, I loved a roast beef sandwich. Mm. Did I say roast beef? Roast beef sandwich. Um, uh, I love an apple and, you know, maybe a pretzel or two or a cookie. Fantastic. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo and I still love a good PB&J to this day. Here are the five things. First up, Amanda shares the big news about TikTok. They expanded their video length to 10 minutes. Second, Tommy discusses Reddit's new Discover tab. Then Amanda gets nerdy with Meta, who shared updates on their automated object identification system. And then Tommy taps like on Instagram's automated captions. And finally, Amanda tells us about YouTube previewing new channel analytic options. Before we get into the five things, this is our first in-person recording of the show in over two years and I am so excited for it. I'm hoping that we can do it again soon. So if things sound a little different, that's why, but we are very excited to be here. So let's dive into the five things. First up, Amanda, tell us about TikTok's new expanded video length. All right, so TikTok has expanded their video length. Previously, they expanded it to three minutes, and just recently, they've now expanded it so that you can make 10-minute videos, which one would consider to be long-form content. And this comes as a little bit of a surprise to people, but when you think about, again, the kinds of content and the range of content on TikTok, there are lots of different either short sound bites, comedy clips, There's long informational pieces of content. There's all kinds of things on the platform. And I'm sure that this change comes from seeing how users are behaving and understanding that perhaps there's not one singular way to consume video content on a platform, but platforms can actually host multiple short form, long form, medium form content, depending on what the audience wants. So a lot of people think that this is kind of a competitive mood against YouTube, who has just announced their shorts and focused on their shorts feature. But I think we're also looking at platforms like Instagram, who just this week have removed support of their standalone IGTV app, which again was for long form content. So the platforms are running all over the place trying to figure out if they should be long form, short form, mid form, something else completely, photo sharing, etc. But I think the real big takeaway is that, again, consumers are going to be consuming video content on their phone. Some consumers at some times want short content and some people want long content, depending on their interests, the kind of video that you're making and the amount of time that they have in their day and in their routine. So I think we're moving away from this kind of catch all use for these platforms, having a one trick pony to being able to get give people on the platforms the kind of content that they want. So this feels like a pretty big shift. Tommy, do you think this will 
change how users will engage on TikTok? I do think it will change how they interact on TikTok. I My question is, first off, like just to myself, I wonder what kind of content will get me to watch for 10 minutes straight. Because, I mean, we all scroll through TikTok and scrolling through even a minute video, if you scroll through 20 videos, that's 20 minutes of time. You scroll through 20 10-minute videos, that is a number I can't do at the top of my head because I can't do quick maths. But it's kind of, it's pretty high, I bet. And I think it will certainly change the kind of content that's made. I mean, I remember we brought up the Elf uh, sort of campaign that happened last holiday season, which was a sort of short form movie miniseries that took place on the app when it was three minute videos. I wonder now what could be made when you have over three times the capacity for videos. I think we'll start seeing even more high budget, more high level campaigns to take advantage of the fact that you could make like, like 10 minutes an episode of like SpongeBob. That's like a, that's a, that's a type of like media that's already been made. It's already a formula for that. So I think it will certainly change. We might start seeing more scripted content or more just people taking advantage of the fact that there's a whole new ballpark. And I think the challenge then is again, how do you make content off an app that was born and bred in the short form of a minute or less, make it feel organic, make it feel watchable for 10 minutes at a time. And one thing I'll add to is that when TikTok started, there really weren't as many video creators that learned the craft of making a video. It just wasn't as common on other platforms before TikTok blew up. And so to your point, Tommy, knowing how many people have learned how to create videos, how to edit videos, how to make graphics and make kind of this engaging video content, I'm curious to see what the platform will offer from a creative lens that helps makers who might not have had the opportunity in the platform to do it before TikTok was really part of their creative output. And Tommy mentioned Elf and that ex- activation uh, at the end of last year. So I'm curious, Amanda, do you think this is territory brands should dip into or should they steer clear of 10 minutes? I think it really, like, really truly depends on what kind of content you're making. I think if you're making something that is a full brand focused story that really doesn't involve the consumer at all, perhaps that's not somewhere that you would want to spend 10 minutes talking. Perhaps that's something closer to a pre-roll or interstitial or short form content. But when you work with these creators and if there is really engaging content that keeps people's attention and feels interesting for that 10 minute span, like instead of trying to say it's a yes or no, I'd almost want to say it's like becoming much more of a nuanced and strategic approach to when you use which length of video. Yeah, the creativity there could be endless. All right, Tommy, let's jump over to Reddit, who launched a new Discover tab. Tell us about it. Yeah, so like you said, Reddit introduced a new Discover tab feature for the official Reddit iOS and Android apps. This new feature curates pictures, GIFs, and videos in a scrollable grid to help Reddit users find new content and communities that they may be interested in, in a way that's very reminiscent of Instagram's Explore page or of Pinterest. And this is a pretty big change for Reddit. It's a platform that traditionally has a really heavy emphasis on copy and thumbnails. But it looks like Reddit is making this an opportunity to showcase the rich multimedia content available all over the site. And particularly, there's not really a place on Reddit where you can go and easily discover video, image, or GIF content. And this tab functions as a way to do so. And I think this is a really good idea by Reddit. I personally think users are going to discover and join much more communities and subreddits as a result of this. And if not, the very at least it'll be easier for them to find, you know, interesting and compelling content that resonates with them just on the app, not going through r slash all. And it kind of feels like almost a replacement for r slash all, but it turns out the two will just exist concurrently and will provide different experiences. As an important note is that the Discover tab adjusts to your current interests, like the Explore page. So, you know, if you're subscribed to a lot of, you know, football subreddits or spend time in baseball subreddits, you're going to start seeing more, you know, sports content in the Discover tab. So I think net net, this feature will go far in helping users discover sort of just like the, the vast amount of content and community on Reddit. Reddit is just, it's everything. It's broad, it's hyper-specific, and I think that this new feature will help people discover how much is out there. And Amanda, in your opinion, does this 
elevate Reddit to the other apps? Does this take anything away from Reddit that made it special? How do we think users will adapt to this? So I think this brings a brand new use case that Reddit hadn't really previously cracked. Um, if you take a look at this new tab, it looks a lot like Pinterest, which again, is a very discover exploratory type of platform. So you might go on the platform without even knowing what you're looking for or having a general gist of what you're looking for. And Reddit was not particularly built for that before this tab was launched. It was like, you have to know what you're searching for, what kind of Reddits you're already following. So I think this brings a different kind of consumer that one might think that Reddit is a little tough to get into or hard to find what you're looking for. And two, brings more people to spend time on the app when you might go for one thing, but you end up kind of scrolling and discovering new new topics and content. So it's almost like a whole different flow of like consumer behavior there. Yeah, this is very exciting. Um, Tommy, what else? I think also we should mention that something I've realized recently and read about is that Reddit actually is one of the most used search engines on the internet. And it's a major thing for people to search something on Google and then put Reddit after it to find a specific actual like Reddit thread of the subject. So I think that Reddit kind of understands how like they are being used as much as like a Google or even a YouTube because you don't really consider YouTube or Reddit search engines, but they are. And I think that this new Discover tab is another way to find content that Reddit's trying to push forward and be more image heavy in a way that kind of exists with this idea of Reddit as a search engine. And that kind of readjusts my thinking of Reddit because I don't always, I go to Reddit for my certain subreddits, so, you know, like r slash pop eds, but I don't actually like Google on it. So it's a really interesting new way of trying to figure out like how many different ways Reddit is used. Yeah, that's really exciting. Can't wait to discover and explore that. All right, let's get down into Meta. Amanda, tell us about the updates that they have to their automated object identification system. I feel like I need to say that like a robot, their automated object identification system. <laughs> well, it is a robot, so that feels absolutely accurate. Um, and this week, Meta has released some new information around what they're calling SEER, which is some kind of acronym for self-supervised. They really tried, <laughs> <laughs> they tried to get that to flow off the tongue, but this is essentially a self-supervised image recognition system. And so what it does is it assesses a large set of images and uses an AI algorithm to identify what's in the image and learn about what they're seeing and kind of use data that's attached to images on the platform or on other platforms to assess trends, data, things like that. So what's interesting about this update to SEER is that they released a version of SEER last year, but this new advancement is actually 10 times more capable at detecting images using contextual clues. So if you look at a picture of a motorcycle, for instance, you can say, this is a motorcycle, find other images that look like this, but this version of SEER, this update actually uses contextual clues. So they will find out the fact that it's on a road or that it's next to a car or that it's smaller than a car. And for the machine to be able to learn that and build on that knowledge makes it so that it can kind of exponentially grow and find more and more capabilities very quickly. So this is pretty impressive. And this is right now beating out some of the other imaging identification software like ImageNet. And what this really means and what we imagine the takeaway will be are a couple things. One, advancing the algorithm. You know, if you're posting a bunch of pictures, of cats, for instance, you might want to see more content about cats. This is also built to help break some of the traditional problems with AI and the learning curve that's based on European and American features and cultural items and different parts of the world that might actually look very different. So again, typical 
classical or I'd say traditional AI has been built on these programs that feel very Eurocentric. So Meta claims that they are programming this to be a lot more culturally friendly and much more global than other AI algorithms that we've seen before. And the big takeaway for Meta is that this is going to help build their metaverse. So this computer vision is kind of a big key element to how they see us using AR, how they see the computer and the metaverse technology interacting with the space around you. So if you're cooking, for instance, and you have an AR glasses or AR headset on, the machine learning might be able to really accurately tell you like which tool to use, how much sugar to use, if you're using too much milk and things like that. So when you get really down into the nuance of what this imaging recognition can do from an AR sense, there's a ton of possibilities. That is so cool. However, Meta, the master of naming, when I first read this, I read it as Seer 2, but now hearing the description, I wonder if it's actually pronounced Seer. 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 Yeah. Right? Seer. Yeah. But again, not... (laughs) That's Seer. Like I could see it, but I don't know if they can. Okay. So again, this is very techie. Might be a little hard to follow. Curious, Tommy, do you think brands could take anything away from this now or is it too early? I think it might be a little too early because I think this to me, it feels more like a vibe of an idea because there's so little use for it from like a brand perspective. But I think it shows one, how dedicated Meta is to the idea of the metaverse and also how far it just like on like a purely different level, how far technology can come in a year. The fact that it's like, what was it like? 10 times or three times, like as powerful as it was in the past uh, 10 times. Yeah, that to me is just like, just insane. And I think that it just goes to show like this future is coming and there'll be technology ready for us to take advantage of. And we'll be ready to use technology like Seer to help better get ads in front of people and tailor things to make it feel more organic and lived in than we've traditionally done in the past. And last thing I'll add to is this does have kind of a media implication for brands too, because as we see, you know, cookies being utilized less and less and being phased out, context is really important and first party data is going to become very valuable. So when Facebook, I'm sorry, Meta can... uh, assess and monetize the data for users on the platform and provide that to brands to make sure they're showing up in the context that they want to. That is a future-facing version of how we innovate uh, media buying. All right. So from one meta feature to the other, let's jump over to Instagram, Tommy, who launched automated captions for feed videos. Yeah, so after launching automated captions for IGTV uploads in 2020 and then expanding it to stories last year, Instagram has taken the next and I guess final step with the addition of auto-generated captions in Instagram feed videos. Users will be able to switch on auto captions for any Instagram feed post, providing another way to expand consumption options in the app. As explained by Instagram, adding captions make Instagram more accessible to those in the deaf and hard of hearing communities. Captions are default on for creators. I think it's a great move by Instagram for a couple of reasons. And the first is, again, any additional accessibility is great for all users. As I said before, this now extends um, hard of hearing users the ability to interact with more posts. It would also help creators maximize viewership in both sound on and sound off environments, which, you know, this is a significant benefit. It's, it, I, I feel like we all can relate to this. It's annoying to be, you know, on a subway or a public space or watching TV next to someone and you can't get the full context of a clip or video because you can't switch on the sound because, you know, you're in a public place, you don't have headphones, you don't want to be like annoying to those around you. And now you have like full viewing capacity, which can make this, I think, a big update and help Instagram. Again, just we talked about it earlier, dive into their goal of producing short form and video content. I think this is just another step of prioritizing video content and making it available for all who want to watch. So I think this is just a great move forward by Instagram. I'm glad it's finally here. Yes, except. Accessibility is always good. I don't think there are any questions really to ask about this. It's very straightforward and it's just an awesome move by Instagram. All right, let's jump over to our fifth and final thing for the day. 
YouTube previews new channel analytic options. Amanda, tell us all about it. I get all the detailed ones today. So this one's interesting. YouTube is previewing and testing, I should say, new analytics options for creators that give them a little bit more insight into how their content is performing. It's really in-depth. I would urge you to take a look at it if you work with YouTube regularly. But they these new tools basically give them a better idea, the creators, of how their content is monetizing and gives them insights around things like what they're calling content gaps. So if, for instance, you're a makeup artist and you haven't done a particular kind of makeup, but there's a lot of search capacity for it. YouTube will actually give a report to the creator to say, hey, these are places and content and topic areas that don't have enough videos on the platform to help the user find what they're looking for. Perhaps it's something that you should create and make videos around. So that's the first part. And the second part is really about the monetization and the payout. So instead of one large bulk payout for creators, they can now see in much more of a detailed breakout how they are making money from the brands and ads on their content. So it shows them where in the stream they're making money, where people are coming in to find their channel, how the commercial breaks are landing, when people leave the video and things like that. And the really big takeaway here that I wanted to mention earlier is the conversation we were discussing around long form and short form content is long form content for creators on YouTube monetizes way more than short form content anywhere else. I will also add that long form content on YouTube monetizes more than any other platform. So the net net takeaway for creators is making long form content on YouTube is one of the highest rates of monetization for any kind of content on any of the platforms right now. And YouTube is trying to make sure that creators know that and is trying to bring creators to the platform. So to the earlier conversation we were having around TikTok and Instagram, they are setting up a direct competition of saying you can come here to make your content, see how it's making a lot of money and make more of it than you would on another platform. So while this is a helpful tool for creators, it's also a big statement from YouTube to showcase how they are helping creators monetize that the other platforms really aren't doing even if they have creator funds and some other tools like that. When it comes down to it, creators just are making more money on YouTube. Yeah, that's, it's, again, this is an amazing tool. It actually sounds like it's both beneficial to the creator and the user, especially with that content gaps. So I'm curious, uh, Tommy, what out of all of these new features do you think is going to be the most beneficial for the creators? I think the content gap, personally, I when I read that, I, w- I was kind of amazed. Again, it's like using YouTube as a search engine and being able to spot trends that are happening and literally see the search engine queries that are being asked on the platform, being able to tailor your content to directly answer that and get that engagement and that views. That, to me, like is like the golden ticket for a creator, knowing your content is in demand and knowing that it will be wanted and will be watched and viewed. If I was a creator, I would really not abuse it, but just like go after it and really like figure out what's being talked about and tailor my content towards that. So I think just speaking from the perspective of creators, again, like you said it earlier, YouTube is sort of the king for monetization. It's had that in its bones for so long. It's so good at it. And I think between this and just the content gap and just the total like culture of the platform, I really think this is going to be beneficial for creators. And then in turns, obviously, for brands and people who work with creators and work with the platform. All right, friends. Well, we did it. This was an awesome episode. I am so glad I got to be IRL with you all. If you don't already, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. Please share the show with your friends, your family, your clients, your coworkers. They'll all get something out of it. If you've got questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, email us at podcast at gray.com. Again, I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining us in person. And thanks to Danielle and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. Thank you, listener. And we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, 
be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt, mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.